Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number 877-973-7425 if you'd like to be on this here program. Happy to have you. And boy, do we have, well, news we got to discuss. <laughs> um, friends, if you're a Democrat, I'm sorry. It's not looking good for you. The, you know, you usually get the baby bump sometime a few months in and it lasts until delivery. And well, the abortion bump for the Democrats in the polling, mm, well, lasted what? Four weeks, three weeks, and it seems to have gone away. It's bad out there for the Democrats. It's bad for Joe Biden. The Democrats have gotten to the point where they're now openly, openly discussing he's not very competent. And he's not doing well. And all the stuff that we've been saying for a while, the Democrats are starting to talk about it. Now, look, I I know how this goes. I know how it works. There's never really like a meeting. A lot of people on the left and the right are convinced that what happens is the other side gets together, coordinates their talking points. Now, it is true, for example, a number of reporters are on a Slack channel together. Uh, they used to be on an email list. Now they're on a Slack channel. So people have been open about it and, and they bounce ideas off of each other and, and they they are spun by their fellow reporters and partisans to go in certain directions. That's why it's very easy for Democrats to get their stories out. Uh, like, for example, how uh, they're attacking crisis pregnancy centers. This is a coordinated attack. Typically what happens on both sides, though, is that one person starts saying something, it sounds real good, someone else starts saying it, and then three people start saying it, then a dozen people start saying it, and it kind of spirals. And my guess is that's what's happening here, because overnight, it seems a whole lot of people on the left are now openly willing to attack and criticize Joe Biden. This really is something the right has talked about for a while and the left has attacked us. The reporters have attacked us. You weren't allowed to talk about Joe Biden and his mental capacity. You just weren't allowed. Now suddenly everything is fair game. Most Democrats don't want Joe Biden to run again, a new poll shows. This is by Shane Goldmacher. We'll get to that one, but first... The more damning story. Peter Baker. Peter Baker is a uh, New York Times writer who is married to Susan Glasser. Susan Glasser is the New Yorker uh, left-wing writer. They are both liberals. They are both supportive of Biden. They both hate Trump. They both want the Democrats to advance. And Peter Baker has the audacity now to do something that we have all been attacked for doing. The headline at 79, Biden is testing the boundaries of age and the presidency. And this whole story comes from a tip. He put off, Joe Biden did, his visit to the Middle East because he was too worn out after the NATO visit. When President Biden leaves Tuesday night for a four-day swing through the Middle East, he will presumably be more rested than he would have been had he followed the original plan. 
The trip was initially tacked onto another journey last month to Europe, which would have made for an arduous 10-day overseas trek until it became clear to Mr. Biden's team that such an extended travel might be unnecessarily taxing to a 79-year-old president, or crazy, as one official put it. Now, here's the thing. We weren't allowed to talk about this stuff. The media attacked us. I got criticized. I was on TV and I raised it and got criticized for raising it. And now suddenly um, they can't help but avoid it, help but notice it. This is the key paragraph here. It is unsurprisingly a sensitive topic in the West Wing in interviews, some sanctioned by the White House and some not. More than a dozen current and former senior officials and advisors uniformly reported Mr. Biden remains intellectually engaged, asking smart questions at meetings, grilling aides on points of dispute, calling them late at night, picking out the weak point on the page 14 of the memo and rewriting speeches up until the last minute. But they acknowledge Mr. Biden looks older than just a few years ago a political liability. His energy level, while impressive for a man of his age, is not what it was. Some aides quietly watch out for him. He often shuffles when he walks, and aides worry he will trip on a wire. He stumbles over words during public events. They hold their breath to see if he makes it to the end without a gaffe. Although White House officials insist they make no special accommodations the way Ronald Reagan's team did, privately they tried to guard Mr. Biden's weekends in Delaware as much as possible. We weren't supposed to talk about this. We weren't supposed to comment on it. And yet, it's out in the open now. Mr. Biden's public appearances have fueled the perception that he's too old. His speeches can be flat and listless. He sometimes loses his train of thought has trouble summoning names, or appears momentarily confused. More than once, he's promoted Vice President Kamala Harris, calling her President Harris. Mr. Biden, who overcome a ch- overcame a childhood stutter, stumbles over words like kleptocracy. He has said Iranians when he meant Ukrainians and called Senator Mark Warner, Democrat of Virginia, John, confusing him with the late Republican senator of the same name. The Democrats are ready to move on. Privately, look look at what happened. So in Japan, Shinzo Abe's party has won a supermajority in parliament two days after his assassination. Back in 2000, John Ashcroft, sitting U.S. senator, lost his reelection bid. He was expected to win it. It was a close race, and he was expected to win it, and he lost it. Only sitting incumbent senator ever to lose to a dead man. A few a week or so before the election, Mel Carnahan, the governor of Missouri, was campaigning around the state and his plane crashed. He died. Sympathy overwhelmed people for Carnahan, and they elected him. He was on the ballot, too late to take him off, and they sent his wife to the U.S. Senate on his behalf. Democrats are privately fretting so much about Joe Biden. You know, they're looking at these past events and they're like, my sympathy might be the only way to help us. He's old. Wear him out. It could happen. I Listen, I realize the way it sounds. It sounds bad. I recognize that even saying it. But 
I'm just telling you the hard, painful truth of the conversations going on privately among Democrats right now who are really freaking out by all the polling. The polling has gotten so bad for the Democrats, they are desperate. Maybe, maybe they can push him to resign before the election. Maybe they can push him out, except then they're stuck with Kamala, the gaffe machine. I mean, this is this is not a good thing for the Democrats here that Joe Biden is in the shape that he is in. It's just not a good look. And they are super hyper fretful. They're looking for solutions. They're looking for a way out. They're looking for some way to deflect. They're looking for some way to change the subject. And by as long as Biden's there, they owe him. Donald Trump isn't on the ballot. They've tried to make him on the ballot, and he's not. Listen, here's this. This is, the, this is again, New York Times. How bad is it when the New York Times is going after Joe Biden? Get a load of their polling. This tells you exactly why they're going after Joe Biden all of a sudden. President Biden is facing an alarming level of doubt from inside his own party, with 64% of Democratic voters saying they would prefer a new standard bearer in the 2024 presidential campaign, according to a New York Times-Siena College poll, as voters nationwide have soured on his leadership, giving him, wait for it, no, no, wait for it, a 33% job approval rating. This is the New York Times poll. Widespread concerns about the economy and inflation have helped turn the national mood decidedly dark, both on Mr. Biden and the trajectory of the nation. More than three-quarters of registered voters see the United States moving in the wrong direction, a pervasive sense of pessimism that spans every corner of the country, every age range and racial group, cities, suburbs, rural areas, both political parties, only 13% of Americans Say the nation's on the right track, the lowest point in times polling since the depths of the financial crisis more than a decade ago. Who the heck are the 13% who think we're on the right direction? I mean, I do in the sense that we're about to throw the Democrats out. I think that's headed in the right direction. But I mean, actually, economically, morally, spiritually, socially, this is not the right direction. Who are the 13% other than rich Democrats who are sheltered in their, their ivory towers? This is bad. This is bad. I mean, get this. What are the most important issues, according to the New York Times? The economy, 20%. Inflation, 15%. State of democracy, political divisions, 11%. Gun policies, 10%. Abortion, only 5%. COVID, by the way. COVID doesn't even register as a concern. It's fascinating. And then when you actually look at the the data, I mean, this is the New York Times. You got to remember, this is the New York Times. And so they're asking an oversampling of Democrats by and large. And even Democrats, 20% inflation, 15, or I'm sorry, 20% the economy, 15% inflation. In other words, that's 35%, a third of the nation is worried about the economy. I'm looking at this. These are the, this are, these are the ones that they, they register. Here's the problem. This is the problem. 20% concerned about the economy, 15% inflation, 11% political divisions, 10% guns, 5% abortion slash women's rights, 
Democrats, concerned about Democrats, 2% concerned about immigration, 2% Russia, Ukraine, 2% racism, 2% Republicans, Trump, 2% human rights, 2% religion, 1% crime, health care, education, foreign policy, climate change, election integrity, voting rights, energy, and the Supreme Court. 0% concerned about China, coronavirus, and domestic terrorism. Wait a second. The Democrats have been focusing on domestic terrorism, climate change, election integrity, the Supreme Court, voting rights, health care, Republicans and Trump. None of those issues matter. None of those issues matter. This is a damning indictment on the Democratic strategy right now. Damning indictment. This is what they're campaigning on. It's not going to work. In the New York Times poll, do you approve or disapprove of Joe Biden? Overall, 33 approved, 60 disapprove. Let me give you just the disapproval numbers. 63% of men disapprove. 58% of women disapprove. 69% of 18 to 29 year olds disapprove. 53% of 65 and up disapprove. 65% of whites disapprove. 63% of Latinos disapprove. 51% of other ethnicities disapprove. Only 30% of blacks disapprove. 62% approval among black voters. 51% of college voters with college-educated whites disapprove. 75% of white voters without a college degree disapprove. And then among political affiliations, 68% independents, 90% GOP. A quarter of Democrats disapprove. That should be like 10% for the Democrats, but only 70% of them approve. This is really bad stuff for Joe Biden and the Democrats. Nothing is coming to save them, barring some unforeseen event. And now wait. According to Gallup's new poll, Gallup reflects the New York Times, 33% approval. In April of 2018, 37% of voters thought Donald Trump deserved a second term. Only 33% of registered voters think Joe Biden deserves re-election. I mean, 69% of voters thought George Bush deserved re-election. 46% thought Barack Obama deserved re-election. 37% of voters thought Donald Trump did, and only 33% of Democrat or of, of voters do for Joe Biden. This is a terrible, terrible for the Democrats. And so you know what it means. They're going to get even more desperate and even more hysterical and even more angry because nothing they do is working. And all of the issues that they're focused on, according to the New York Times, the issues they're focused on don't even matter to the electorate. That's not the way you win an election. They tried to make it about Trump in January 6th and now abortion and guns and the Supreme Court and climate change and voters don't care about any of that stuff. They care about their pocketbooks. And that, my friends, is politics 101. It's always the economy, stupid. Hello there, it is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. I'll get to your phone calls here in just a bit. But first, well, Kamala Harris, every time she opens her mouth, she makes the situation worse. 
This is not good. Kamala Harris sat down for an interview. I think it was with uh, CNN. And I need you to hear this. It has blown the minds of Democrats nationwide, particularly abortion activists, who are furious with her. When you look back, did Democrats fail past Democratic presidents, congressional leaders to not codify Roe v. Wade over the past five decades? I think that, to be very honest with you, I, I do believe that we should have rightly believed, but we certainly believe that certain issues are just settled. Certain issues are just settled. Clearly we're not. No, that's right. And that's why I do believe that we are living, sadly, in um, real unsettled times. Now, wait just a minute. For 40 years, Republicans have said they were going to shift the Supreme Court to the right and undo Roe v. Wade. For 40 years, they've been moving ever so close to it. In fact, in the last five years, Kamala Harris herself in the United States Senate warned that Republicans would do this. And now she, suddenly she's like, well, we didn't do it because we just thought it was settled. Abortion activists around the country are furious with Kamala Harris for claiming that the Democrats didn't do anything because they thought it was settled law. When everyone knew, including Kamala Harris up until about five minutes ago, that that was not the case. She has enraged abortion rights activists, and now comes word she resents the White House making her the face for this because she thinks they did it because she's a woman. Really, she's complaining, and it's leaking. Good gracious, these people are incompetent. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. If you want to join me, you are more than welcome to. As always, if you text the word recipe to 33777, recipe singular, uh, I will do my best to get out a good recipe for you this week. Now, we got to move on because there are some other things we got to talk about and make uh, points about. But first, I got to play you some audio. And I want to play you the beginning of this. I, I, I cut out or had Charlie cut out the Joe Kernan intro to this talking about the the misery in the biden white house and that the uh economy is not translating and i want to give jared bernstein he's the president's top economic advisor he's been an advisor to clinton to obama now to biden he's a popular democratic economist he's working in the white house i want to give him his due and let him defend the biden economy he actually makes the best possible case for how good the economy is. And so you're going to hear him, and then I want you to hear Joe Curtin from CNBC. I want you to hear his response. But you can't ignore the fact that we have the strongest labor market in generations uh, with uh, 11 million openings, with 375,000 jobs per month over the past three months created. And so it's an extremely welcoming job market with rising nominal wages that provides an essential backdrop uh, to the uh, to the price pressures. Family balance sheets are in good shape. And getting back to the president's role in this, well, the American Rescue Plan has its fingerprints on these benefits. Now, you asked about, uh, uh, did it contribute to overheating? Look, I think that the inflation story can be broken down into strong demand, hits uh, constrained supply, and now Putin's invasion of Russia. The most recent analysis says that the demand part is actually trailing off, and that makes sense if you look at some of the cooling sectors of the economy. Housing is a great example, and that's much the result of the Federal Reserve. 
uh, but the supply chain constraints are still in place. They're easing significantly, which also has to do with some of our work, say, at the ports. But the Putin price hike is very much in the mix, and that remains a strong constraint weighing on both the real economy and the markets. You guys got a patent that trade market, that Putin price hike, that uh, you guys all use it again and again and again. And, you know, well, it's we're, real. You're, yeah, you had 33% um, approval at this point, Jared, so I, I don't know. Oh, now, you, you need to, the setup here is somewhat hilarious. So Bernstein is giving this interview to CNBC at the, the, the beach. You don't know what the beach is. Outside the north end of the White House, there is a plot of land, and it's basically a sand pit where the reporters have tents set up on the sand and grass area, and uh, the that's where they all do interviews. Well, as he's doing the interview on CNBC, some dude decides to cut the grass right behind him. That's the background noise you heard. If you thought it was a lawnmower, yes, while he was giving the interview... <laughs> Someone decided to start mowing the grass and did not care that the president's White House economic advisor was given the best defense of the economy there is. But notice what he said, that uh, demand is slowing down, but that's because of the Federal Reserve, not because of the White House. And then on top of that, the supply chain issue, some of that is China, it's true, but not all of it. What he leaves out is the massive economic spending for the White House. He doesn't want to talk about that, doesn't want to tie it in. And everybody acknowledges, even him privately acknowledges, it overheated the economy. And then they go to the Putin thing. And, and Kernan's response at the end, I think, is the most notable thing, that you guys might as well patent that uh, Putin price hike because you keep using it, and you're at 33% in the polls. Just shuts him down. Now, one, one other little bit here. Uh, from Jared Bernstein on gas. Listen to this. But let's talk about energy, okay? The gas price is down uh, 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 more than 30 cents off of its peak. Now, uh, some of that has to do with initiatives that this White House has taken, the president's right. behest, including measures to increase the supply of, uh, of oil. Uh, so uh, I think if you actually look at what the president has done, uh, keep your head down, uh, that's, that's our assignment and that's what we're trying to do. So there was nothing, Joe Biden got no blame at all from this guy for rising price hikes. None. It was not his fault. He had nothing to do with it. He can't control the price of gas. And now suddenly, oh, we would like to take some credit for the 30 cent decrease in the price of gas, please. Really? That's where they are. That's where they are. Now, you need to know a couple of things. It is really bad for Democrats out there right now. But that doesn't actually mean it's good for Republicans. Events can change things. Candidates do matter. And Donald Trump could announce he's running in 2024. If Trump announces he's running in 2024, that sucks all the oxygen out of the GOP's arguments to focus on jobs in the economy. Suddenly, everybody's going to focus on Trump. That undermines the Republicans in 2022 and also will spook some independents and moderates. On top of that, you've got issues. Now, I, I, I tread lightly on how big the issues possibly are. But I got to I gotta do read you some of the beginning here of this piece in the Washington Post. At a recent Republican donor retreat in Chicago, Herschel Walker was asked a question about fiscal discipline and balancing the budget. 
The GOP nominee for the Senate in Georgia answered with a long answer on Black Lives Matter and the police, failing to address the question, according to people who were there. The surprised reaction to Walker's response was familiar to Republicans who've been tracking his struggling bid in one of the most competitive Senate contests in the nation. Since easily winning his primary, his polling edge against Raphael Warnock has become a deficit amid erratic campaigning, verbal flubs, disclosures about three children, and staff discontent. The result has been a rescue mission helmed in part by the National Republican Senatorial Committee, which has led to several veteran staff hires by Walker's campaign, including Brett O'Donnell, the party's most celebrated debate prep strategist. Not for decades has the midterm environment appeared as favorable to Republicans. Joe Biden's approval rating at 39% or less. But four months from Election Day, Republicans are struggling in several marquee Senate races because of candidate challenges and campaigns recovering from brutal Republican primaries. In the battle for control of the House, which tends to hew closely to the national mood, strategists for both parties think the GOP will take back the majority. It's the Senate that's the concern, and Republicans are fretting. Behind the scenes, Republican operatives are growing nervous. One GOP strategist watching the Senate race closely, who, like others interviewed for the article, requested anonymity to speak openly, said there's a massive problem on the candidate front. It's like 2010 or 2012 when the party fell short of winning the Senate because of undisciplined and polarizing candidates like Sharon Angle, Todd Aiken, Richard Murdoch, Christine O'Donnell. In Wisconsin, Ron Johnson is roughly even with three of his four potential Democratic rivals in polling there. Mehmet Oz, the Republican in Pennsylvania, is behind his Democratic opponent, Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman, who's struggling even to speak following a stroke. Candidates matter, and the GOP is picking bad candidates, largely because Trump endorsed some bad candidates, and they're going with them. That doesn't mean that they can't win. In fact, some of them will win. I still think Herschel Walker wins in Georgia. I still think it's a strong possibility that he wins. Not a guarantee, but a possibility. Same with Mehmet Oz in Pennsylvania. A harder win, but I think he's going to win. Adam Laxalt in um, Nevada, I think he wins. If Mark Bronovich in Arizona is the nominee, uh, he probably wins. Blake Master, I'm not so sure about. There's a lot of lot of baggage there for Blake Master. Uh, Trump endorsed Master. He surged in the polls. Bronovich would be a stronger candidate. He's already won statewide. But the GOP in Arizona just at this point seems like they've made a suicide pact with logic. But they can still win, and a lot of them will because the political environment is so bad for the Democrats. And people will go to the polls, and they will think, eh, just give them one term. Throw them out after their term's up we got to do something. But candidates still matter. And the GOP has, I mean, taken the best possible year and picked the worst possible candidates in many races. And they can still win. But here is the problem, and you need to understand the problem. That takes money. And every dollar that must be spent to help Herschel Walker in a race that should be a, an easy race is a dollar that will not be spent in New Hampshire, a more difficult race where the incumbent Democrat is bad. Every dollar consumed in Arizona 
by the uh, folks there battling it out in the primary, trying to get Blake Masters the nomination there. It, it's a dollar that's not going to be spent elsewhere where it could be better utilized. That's the problem with these bad candidates is they can win and some of them will win, but it will cost more money to be spent to get them elected, depriving other candidates. What the GOP is doing this year is the equivalent of the Democrats when they poured money into Amy What's-Her-Face, the idiot who ran against Mitch McConnell and uh, just got her clock cleaned by Mamie McGrath, I think her name was. Uh, terrible candidate in, in Kentucky. Democrats were convinced she could beat McConnell. Everyone grounded in reality knew she could not. They poured money into her race and others lost. Or Jamie Harrison against Lindsey Graham. All these Democratic polls that the media relied on showed it was really close. Oh my gosh, Lindsey Graham's in trouble. He could lose. No, he didn't lose. And the Democrats poured money in there. Roberto O'Rourke against Ted Cruz. In 2018, Democrats might have gotten Stacey Abrams into a runoff where she would have lost to Brian Kemp. Instead, they poured all their money at Beto O'Rourke, who lost to Ted Cruz. They convinced themselves Texas was going blue, and they did it, and and it, it was a loss. Or look at Ron DeSantis in Florida, who barely beat Andrew Gillum, a terrible candidate. And Gillum might have won, except the Democrats chose to spend their money elsewhere thinking he was already a sure thing. There, there was no way Ron DeSantis could win. And now to this day, they regret it. When you're having to pour money into try to get Mehmet Oz across the finish line, when you're having to pour money in to get Herschel Walker across the finish line, that's money you're not spending on Adam Laxalt. That's money you're not spending against Maggie Hassan in, in Arizona or in, in New Hampshire. That's money you're not spending against Mark Kelly in Arizona. And then you've still got the Eric Greitens situation in Missouri. He could be the GOP nominee in Missouri, and he will probably lose. The man's a sociopath, and everybody knows it. What I find notable there is that Donald Trump decided to come out and, and say he would never endorse Vicki Hazlitt there, popular congresswoman from Missouri, but he spent all of his energy saying, I'll never support her and can't say don't support Greitens, a sociopath who tied a woman up in his basement and took pictures of it. It's bizarre. Republicans can still lose in November. And we should not be so confident in the polling to not look at the the idiocy that's going on within Republican primaries as people pick bad candidates who the GOP has to spend extra money on to prop up. And every dollar spent to prop them up is a dollar spent not on a more viable race or a race that's a longer shot, but possible. When you're trying to get your sure things across the finish line because you've got such crappy candidates, you can't even go after the long shots that are possible. And that's what's happening to the GOP, and that's the problem, and that's why Donald Trump should have stayed out of it. And now if he announces that he's going to run for president, suddenly it galvanizes the race and makes it about Donald Trump in a way that he might like, but then distracts from the GOP on jobs in the economy. Events still matter, and Trump can screw this thing up, asking a lot of other things, including the baggage that's coming out on these candidates. More shoes will drop in Herschel Walker in Georgia. And what's amazing is the man can still win. He's a terrible candidate, and the man can still win because the environment is so bad for the Democrats. That's the one thing 
The GOP has going for it. That's not going to change between now and November. The political climate against the Democrats is that bad. You know, one of the groups that's out there trying to get these Republicans elected and across the finish line is Patriot Mobile. They need your help to do it. But in exchange, they're going to give you world-class cell phone service. You don't have to use the big providers. You can use a Christian conservative company like Patriot Mobile. They would love to have your business. They share your values. You can take your phone number to them. You get free activation with my name, and then they take a portion of their profits, and they give it into the conservative movement to grow the party, grow the movement, grow the votes. What you do is you go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric, patriotmobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K. You can transfer your phone number over. You get free activation with my name. You can get a new phone if you need it. You can take an unlocked phone if you have it. You can get a new phone number if you want it. And if you don't want to do it online, you can call them, 972-PATRIOT. You will be talking to someone here in the United States. It's 100% U.S.-based customer service. Tell them I sent you. You get free activation. It's patriotmobile.com slash Eric or 972-PATRIOT. And if you talk to them, you get a lot of great discounts, too. If you're a veteran, a first responder, a teacher, an NRA member, you get good discounts. You get great benefits. And part of your profits that you help them generate goes to the causes you care about. PatriotMobile.com slash Eric. Go today. Become a customer. If you're a longtime listener of the show, you know I don't like to spend my whole first hour just on raw politics. But there is so much out there, very little of it at all favorable uh, for the for the Democrats, it's just, it is remarkable what's going on out there. And now there's this. With just four months until the midterms, Democrats were already on defensive in 30 highly competitive districts. And now they're showing vulnerability in deeper blue terrain. Representative Kim Schreier called it an honor to welcome President Biden to suburban Seattle for a health care speech in April. Then, nearly three months later, the Washington Democrat used a TV ad to boast about taking on the Biden administration over gas prices. This kind of pivot in a House battleground, which Biden won by seven points two years ago, isn't an anomaly. Recent GOP polling in roughly a dozen swing districts offers a bleak assessment of how Joe Biden's anemic approval ratings are threatening to doom battle-tested swing seat incumbents and nudge once-safe districts into the middle of the danger zone. I literally laughed out loud. Army veteran Jesse Jensen said of Schreier's GOP opponents, uh, one of the opponents said, and the first time we saw the ad, she's claiming because she finally looked at some polling and realized he's unpopular, that she's this independent-minded free spirit that is fighting the administration. She's been a rubber stamp for him every single step of the way. With just four months until the midterms, Democrats were already on defense in 30 highly competitive districts. Biden's toxicity has given the GOP optimism about seriously contesting a fresh crop of about a dozen seats the president won by nine points or more, from western Rhode Island to California's Central Valley to the suburbs of Arizona's capital. The result is a House map that has expanded to an uncomfortable place for Democrats. Now, here's the thing. This goes back to what I was saying. One of the problems is that with all the money being poured in, you know, the the House Republicans and the Senate Republicans have different campaign arms, but you have just your dollars. And when you pour your dollars in, you can only go to one of the two. 
I mean, you can divide them a little bit, but it reduces the pool. And all your money that's going to prop up bad Senate candidates is money that cannot go to make plays in these nine-point Democrat districts where you've got good Republican candidates. This is the problem that the Democrats or that the Republicans have, and it's one that's not going to go away. They're going to have to figure out a way to deal with it. This hour of the program is brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan, wherever you are nationwide. If you're in charge of business finances, they want to help your business grow. Reach out to them, firstlibertyga.com, firstlibertyga.com. Tell them I sent you. See if they can help your business grow. We're talking big deals, though, $750,000 or more. When we come back, we need to talk about Sri Lanka. Of all things, Sri Lanka, on the far side of the world, I've been there. We need to talk about Sri Lanka because what's happening there is about to spread around the world, and you need to be prepared for it. 